You're listening to a message from Victory Church of the Bay Area. For more information, please visit us on our website at victoryus.org. Good morning, everyone. My name is Neil Bernardino, and I'm the pastor of this church. Now, we're starting a brand new series that is um, tied in with our prayer and fasting. This is for the whole month of January. And I would like for us to turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 8. We're going to be reading the whole song. Don't worry, it's just uh, nine verses. Psalm chapter 8. To the choir master, according to the Getith, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. To still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Lord, your name is indeed majestic, not just in our lives, but in all of creation. And Lord, your name is magnified above every name. It's lifted up high above every other name. And today, Lord, we pray that we would continue to lift up your name and magnify your name. As we learn more about you, as we continue to know you more, may we grow also in our praise of you. Because you are worthy of all praise. And today, Lord, that is what we are saying before you. We praise you, Lord, for who you are and for all the things you've done. Lord, we just thank you, and we lift up this sermon to you, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so basically this series uh, tied in with our prayer and fasting. Part of our goal for our prayer and fasting is to deepen our relationship with God. And, you know, there's nothing like prayer and fasting that can really help us get grounded in God's Word and in His presence and be sensitive to His Spirit's leading and to His voice that we get to know him more. And that's why we need to develop prayer and fasting as a discipline, as a, you know, once a year thing that we do. Okay, so and that's part of what we're doing here. And that's what we're aiming to accomplish here in our sermon series. And with this sermon series, we are looking at five Sundays of January. So we're going to look at some of the attributes of God. Because we want to know God, we want to grow deeper in our relationship with him. So we want to know these aspects or these attributes of God. We want to look at God's glory, his goodness, his generosity, his graciousness, and his greatness. And hopefully by the end of this month, as we go through all these attributes of God, that we will have a deeper understanding of who God is and that we will become more and more the people that he's called us to be in light of our revelation of who he is. So today we're going to talk about God's glory, and I want us to appreciate the glory of God in it. God is revealed all throughout his creation, but more importantly, he is revealed through the apex of his creation, which is mankind, creation that is made in his image. 
And so many Christians shrink back from tough situations mainly because of their lack of relationship with God, their lack of understanding who God is. They believe in God, but when they're faced with challenging situations, with adversities, they shrink back in their faith. They revert to their doubtful ways or their sinful ways, and they feel bad about it. And that's why a lot of people struggle in their faith is because of their lack of understanding of who God is, their lack of relationship with God. That's what we want to see here in this series, that we would deepen that understanding. And also, if you love God, my encouragement to you as we go through the series, we will have a greater uh, appreciation of who God is, and it'll only cause our faith to grow. So as we look at this series, we will be looking at the book of Psalms, not the entire book, but we will be looking at several prominent Psalms in the book. And today we looked at Psalm 8. We will look at God's glory. And this psalm is basically a hymn of praise by King David. King David is the author of this psalm. And this psalm celebrates the glory of God and the worth of humankind. There are two questions I want us to ask. First is, what did this psalm mean then when it was given? And what does it mean now? So that's our application. Okay, for those of you who have a little background of this, when you ask these two questions, you're looking at the exegesis and the hermeneutics of this one. So and you, you say, what is that? What are those terms? Don't worry about it. Just focus on these two questions. I want us to look at the first question, what did it mean then? So I want to unpack Psalm, and then we will bring application to our lives. So what did it mean then? First, the Psalm began with a praise to God, and it ended with the same praise unto God. Basically, you see that this psalm is book-ended by praise. It began and ended with praise, and that's what life should be. We should begin with praise and end with praise, and everything in between our lives, we are to still praise God. And we see here in verse 1, it says there, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The next part, it says there, you have set your glory above the heavens. Now, when you talk about the word glory, you can actually do a sermon series on this one. It is really rich, but the word glory means weight or power, majesty, splendor. And when you say it has weight, that means it has value. And God is the most valuable being there is. Okay, He is the standard of all things. That's why we need to put the utmost value upon God. Many times we see a lot of people put God as their second or third priority when in fact, he is supposed to be the supreme value in their lives. He should be the number one. And when it says, you have set your glory above the heavens, what this verse literally means is you have fixed conclusively or authoritatively your power, your majesty, your splendor, your glory, your value above the heavens, high above the heavens. So that glory is not just seen in the dumpster or in an obscure place, God's glory is all over the earth. Actually, the Bible says that the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just like the waters cover the sea. The whole earth will be filled with His glory. That's what we need to understand here this morning. And I'm going to say this, I don't think I will do justice to talk about God's glory in just one sermon, but we're just going to tap into it a bit and share what I can this morning. And then in verse 2, it says there, Out of the mouth of babies 
and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Now, what does this have to do with the first verse? Actually, you can see the tie-in with this one. In the New Testament, Jesus referred to this particular verse in verse 2. And since Jesus is the living word, this is the written word. Then when he referred to it and he spoke about it, that gives us insight into what God really wants to say here. Again, to the original hearers of this psalm, it, it made perfect sense. But for us, centuries, millennia later, we're trying to understand how they understood it at the time. There are many nuances in the words and the terms that we need to understand. And here Jesus gives us insight. He responded to the protests of uh, the scribes and the teachers of the law when he entered Jerusalem. And then the children were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. And then the teachers of the law and the scribes were like, do you hear what these children are saying? They've seen his work. They know his reputation. They're saying, do you hear what these children are saying? It's like sort of saying they're blaspheming. But Jesus, instead of stopping the children, instead of caving into the, to the religious leaders, oh, I'm so sorry, did that hurt you? I mean, uh, that wasn't politically correct, right? So let me adjust them so that they, can, they will say things that are politically correct, acceptable to all. Doesn't that sound familiar? You see, Jesus didn't do that. Matthew 21, he says this, And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, I hear it. I hear what they're saying. Have you never read? And then he quotes Psalm 8, verse 2. Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Another translation says, out of the mouths of babes, you have ordained praise. And so verse 1 and 2 of Psalm chapter 8 are connected because God is the God of all glory. He is the glorious God whose glory is set up high above the heavens. And verse 2 says, out of the mouth of babes, you have ordained praise. See, the glory of God evokes a response to people, to creatures, and that response is to praise Him. That is the response that is appropriate to the glory of God. Out of the mouths of infants and babes, you have ordained praise. So they were praising God. And so, as we look at this passage again, verse 2, with the word strength, it actually means praise in all its many nuances in the Hebrew. So verse 3 says there, here the psalmist now is saying, when I look at your heavens. So after he's saying, you've set your glory, he praised him. David praised God. How majestic is your name, Lord. Your glory is set high above the heavens. Out of the mouths of infants, you have ordained praise. So he's being praised. And now he's saying, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. Let me stop right there. Basically, David was acknowledging that all that he sees in creation is God's handiwork. God is a creator God. He created all of these, and it speaks of him pondering the magnificence and the glory of God through his handiwork. As a matter of fact, he, the psalmist said in another place in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. 
Now, I don't know about you, but every time I'm before a majestic place, probably like, the, like places like the Grand Canyon or when you see Yosemite or Blanche and I, we were, when was that, 2007? We were in uh, the Canadian Rockies in Banff and we went up the mountain and I saw just like mountain range filled with snow and I was just, we were there up in the top. It was so majestic. I didn't go just like when we were there, I didn't go, wow, that's nice. Okay, where can we go to lunch now? I was taken aback. I was like, something took over me. I'm like, wow. And I was taking a deep breath. And everywhere I look, I go, wow, wow. And I don't know about you, but places like that, there's something inside me that's, that screams, this is the handiwork of God. Why? Because the heavens declare the glory of God. People who did not believe in God, they were cosmonauts. After seeing the earth from space for the very first time, they came to the conclusion there must be a God. Because it evoked something in them that pointed to the reality of God. Are you like that? When I saw Niagara Falls, I was like, wow, I'm going to bring my wife here one day. I was 17 at the time. That was my faith goal, and it happened, 2007. I brought my wife along. Hon, you're going to love this. This is majestic. And when I got there, you know, it was foggy. We couldn't see the falls. But I told her, do you hear it? Do you hear it? Like that? That's the sound of more than a million gallons of water pouring in. And yeah, okay, so ask her if she's, she's been to Niagara Falls. Yes, has she, has she seen it? No. She's heard it. She's seen it by faith. So I took a postcard. See, this is how it looks. <laughs> we were in Niagara Falls. I was showing her a postcard of how the falls looked because we couldn't see it. It was fog, fogged up. Anyway, <laughs> God is glorious. And when we experience or we encounter his glory, just that, even just a little bit of his glory, it evokes a response in us that causes us to erupt in praise. And those who don't know God, they don't know what, they say it's peace, tranquility. What is this? One with nature? Wow. They're feeling something. They're feeling the very reaction that is appropriate to experiencing the glory of God that is being proclaimed right before them. Verse 4. So the heavens declare the glory of God. So David is pondering all this. You are the God of all creation. Your name is majestic in all the earth. You are the God of glory. You've set your glory above the heavens. You're being praised. Everything that I see right now is majestic. That's your handiwork. And here's what was in his mind. Okay, verse 4 says, In that context, what in the grandness of the universe, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man, that you care for him. Lord, if you created all things, all these majestic things, and what are we compared to these things? We're less than a dot compared to the entire universe, right? We are seemingly insignificant. And yet, out of all of God's creation, he focuses his attention upon us. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. 
That was the main tension in the mind of the psalmist. He was in awe and in wonder of the glory of God. And he can't fathom why this glorious creator God is interested in us. We're like smaller than dust compared to the universe. And he's interested in us. That tells you one thing about God. Now, verse 5, verses 5 through 8, speaks about how God meant mankind to be. He said, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the, the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Look at that. God crowned humanity with glory and honor. Remember, he is the God of all glory. He set his glory high above. But in all of his creation, you see, creation proclaims the glory of God. But in man, who is the only part of God's creation that is made in his image, he crowns him. He crowns them, mankind, with glory and honor. You see, glory and honor, these are attributes of kingly distinction, of kingdom distinction, of, of royal distinction. Because it's attributed to God, and then now God crowns the apex of his creation, mankind, with glory and honor. Why is that? Because we were made in the image of God. We have the imago Dei. And we are to represent God to the entire creation. We are God's representatives. We are to represent God. When creation looks at man as a whole, they see a glimpse of who God is. Because of all God's creation, we are the only ones created in his image. We are to represent man. And here's what God meant for man to be. He is to represent God. They're just a little lower than angels, heavenly beings. But they're set apart from all of creation. Then you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've given him dominion. You've given him rulership. Man is called to rule and to take care of all creation. And then you have put all things under his feet. Now we are talking about man here. God has placed everything under the feet of man. Remember when God created Adam? What happened there? He gave him dominion over all of his creation. He put everything under his feet. So my question now is, do we see this description of, of humanity that God originally meant for them to walk in? Do you see it as a present reality? We don't see that right now. Why is that so? Why is that so? We do not see this description as a present reality now. Maybe in bits and pieces, but not the entirety of humanity. See, the New Testament gives us insight into this section of the Psalms. Okay, and here's the thing. It was because of sin that caused man to not walk in this calling. They are now away from that. Now, of course, we are still, even fallen humanity, they're still set apart from all of creation. But because of humanity, they're, because of their sin, it affected the entire creation. Man's relationship with creation. Man's relationship with each other. Here we see a problem now. Man who was meant to rule basically gave that dominion and authority over to the enemy by his sin. 
when he sinned, he turned that dominion over. That's why the enemy is called the God of this age, you know, the ruler of the air, the prince of the power, prince of the air. So that authority and that dominion, that rulership has been usurped by the enemy. It's man basically just gave it away because of his sin. But God wanted us to walk in that glory, in that crowned glory and honor that God has bestowed. That glory is derived from God. We don't create that glory. You know, we don't manufacture that glory. Only God can bestow that upon us. But we have to be in the right place, in the proper place for that. So the New Testament gives us actually great insight into this section of Psalm 8. Okay, in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, we will see this. In verse, verses 6 through 8 of Hebrews 2, says there, It has been testified, now this is the New Testament now. It has been testified somewhere, and then the author of Hebrews quotes directly from Act of Psalm chapter 8, verses 2 to 4. What is man that you are mindful of him? This is now the New Testament quoting the Old Testament. Or the Son of Man that you care for him. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. And have crowned him with glory and honor. Putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, the author of Hebrews is referring to mankind here. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, the word him here refers to mankind. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. He gave everything to mankind, to be stewarded by mankind. At present, but here's what the author of Hebrews is saying, and his conclusion is this. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, in subjection to man. This is what God intended, but this is not the reality mankind is walking in. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. Verse 9. How can we get back into that place of God's calling in our lives, original call for us? It's amazing how God did it. Verse 9. He says there, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. He became man. Jesus was the earthly name of the Son of God. The second person of the Trinity became man. He retained his Godhead. He did not abandon his status as God. He walked this earth both as God and man, 100% God and 100% man. And so here, he was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, because of what he suffered at the cross. He was crowned with glory and honor so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So basically, what mankind could not do because of his bondage to sin, Jesus Christ, who was not in bondage to sin, yet he was man, accomplished what we could not do. He, that's why the Bible calls him the second Adam. The first Adam failed. The second Adam did what the first Adam should have done. So he, as a man, did it with the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's amazing. The author here is verse 10. It says there, For it was fitting that he, 
for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, they were brought back to glory because they were outside of the glory that they were called to walk in, that they were crowned with originally. In bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source, God himself. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus did what Adam could not do. and Jesus did what any other human being could not do. We were all in bondage and we were all doomed, but he became our representative as a man. That's why he had to become a man. Man lost the dominion. It was going to be man who will take that dominion back, that rulership back. And it's through the perfect man, Jesus Christ. He recovered that for us. And if we put our faith in him, he restores us into that place of glory and honor that God meant for us to walk in, that he meant for us to have. Through faith in Jesus' death and resurrection, Believers can receive salvation, restoration, and redemption. They can receive the restoration of the glory God has for them. And you see, this is reason enough for us to praise God. When God reveals his glory through Jesus Christ and we respond to Jesus, there's an appropriate response. Then God restores us, God redeems us, He puts us back in that place where we can walk in the crown glory and honor that God gives us. Restore it, restoration. So the main point of Psalm 8 actually is this, as we look at it. Yes, it's God going to be praised because of his glory. But here is what amazed the psalmist more, and it caused his eyes to be opened more to the glory of God. All the more he glorified God. Oh, he is so wonderful. He is so awesome. He's so magnificent. He does things that, are, that you can't fathom, and you're left with great awe and wonder. And you can't help but praise him more. Here's the point of Psalm chapter 8. It's found in verse 4. With all your glorious things, Lord, and all your majesty, what is man? Even sinful man. What is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. And when, you, when you talk about this, the word man, and this phrase, the son of man, don't equate that with Jesus. That's just a regular term that both mean basically mankind. Although Jesus referred was called the son of man as well, but that was more of a title. This is not referred to as a title. That's a term for humanity in general. So here, God, the main point of Psalm 8 is this, God is mindful of you and I, and he cares for you and I. He is mindful of you and I, and he cares for you and I, that he sent his one and only son. He became a man, took our death, took our penalty, became our substitute, dealt with sin, and the consequences of sin. He paid our penalties. And because he was sinless, he was the only one qualified to do so. And he defeated sin, death, and the grave. He rose again. After defeating all of those, 
he rose again from the dead. And that's why he can save you because he's alive. And those who come to accept his work of salvation, he offers it to us. Those who come to accept it will be covered under what he has done. They will be saved. They will be redeemed. And they will be restored to God's intended state for them. To be his representatives on earth. Reflecting his glory. Bearing his image. They are his image bearers. When people look at them, they see a glimpse of God. A revelation of God. Our job as believers is to get to know God. And he will reveal himself through us. That's why he could have entrusted the message of the gospel to angels. But in all his wisdom that we can't understand and comprehend, and yet we know this is the highest wisdom of all, he entrusted the message of the gospel to us. And he is the one who will change us, transform us, and he will reflect his glory through us. Come on now. So the question now is, what does this mean now? What does it mean now for us? Of course, when the glory of God is revealed, our response is to praise and worship and glorify Him. What does it mean? First, if you feel insignificant, overwhelmed by your circumstances, by your adversities, and you feel like God is so far away, and your mind thinks that you're unreachable, there's no hope. Remember this. God is always mindful of you, and he cares for you. He is always mindful. Even if the circumstances say otherwise, this is the truth. He is always mindful of you, and he cares for you. Tell the person next to you, God cares for you, and he is mindful of you. He knows your situation. He knows that heartache. He knows that pain. He knows that the, what you're suffering right now. And he knows what's best for you. He is mindful of you and he cares for you. Secondly, what does it mean now? If you feel insignificant, overwhelmed, and you feel God is so far away, remember that because he is mindful of you and he cares for you, he sent his one and only son for you. He sent his best for you and I. He didn't send his angel. He didn't send his lieutenant angel. He didn't send his general angel. He sent his very son to take our place, to die our death. That's how much he cares for you and I. What is man with all of the universe? We're just a speck of dust. Why do you care? Because we were made in his image. And we are objects of his love. And let me tell you this, the enemy wants us away from God. God's rising up and saying, I, you're not going to take my creation, the ones I, that are made in my image, away from me. He's not going to, he's going you know, to fight for you and I. And he's proved that by dying on the cross. Lastly, if you feel insignificant, overwhelmed, you feel God is unreachable, you're far away. Even in spite of all those things, because you know God is mindful of you, cares for you, and because he has already sent his best, no matter what your circumstances are, praise him anyway. Praise him. He is beyond your circumstance. He is above your circumstance. Your circumstance is natural. He is supernatural. You know what supernatural means? 
overcoming the natural. It's above the natural. It supersedes the natural. That's why he can make miracles. The supernatural coming into the natural realm will result in miracles. If your case right now, I'm hopeless right now. And you say, only a miracle can save me now. That is God's specialty, my friends. Praise Him anyway. Praise Him with all your heart. Don't wait for the feeling, I don't feel like praising God. All the more you need to praise Him. And lift Him up and worship Him. And declare His praise. Be one with creation. The, all creation is proclaiming His glory. I'm going to proclaim it with creation. God is glorious. Come on now. You're facing a death. You're facing sickness. You may even die. Death is not even permanent if you're in Christ. Come on now. Nothing to be afraid of. He has purchased everything that you need for you, your salvation. There's nothing to be afraid of. Praise God in all circumstances because He is worthy, not because you feel it. You see, how many of you know the creation is glorious? Can I tell you something? The new creation reveals all the more the glory of God. And we are the new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. I walk by faith in the Son of God. And I want to leave you with this thought. Main point for this sermon is this. We are to glorify God for his wondrous works, not just in creation, but especially in the new creation. How many of you are new creation in Christ? Then we are to praise Him. Because you have a hope that supersedes the natural. And the natural is temporary. Come on now. Our hope is guaranteed for all eternity. You may, you may be shaken right now, but you're not going to be down for all eternity. You or God, Jesus already purchased that hope for you. All we need to do is praise Him. Can we do that today? Can we? Let's begin this year. Not just this year, but every day of our lives. Let us praise God for what He has done. But more importantly, let us praise Him for who He is. He is glorious. Let's lift up our hands right now. And let, let us sing this song. And let's say, Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for becoming a man. Walking this earth. Experiencing the pain the pain of our sins taking on our penalty in our death so that you can give us life so that you can restore us to our original purpose in God and Lord you purchased our salvation you purchased our eternity our eternity secure no matter what kind of trouble we face this is these troubles are nothing compared to the glorious eternity that we're going to have. And not only that, Lord, eternity is already now. You are going to manifest the glories of your eternity in our lives here in the natural. And so there's for us to do but to praise you. Lord, we repent for grumbling and complaining and for doubting you, for not trusting in you, for not believing in you. For, Lord, we repent for falling away. Trusting in our own logic. Lord, you're above logic. That's why we come to you by faith. And you are the glorious God. You created all things. But not only did you create all things, you purchased us. You created us. You made us into the new creation. 
And Lord, all the more, we praise you. Come on, let's just give praise to Jesus today. Lord Jesus, we honor you, we praise you. We lift you up. And when I talk about praise God, it's not just singing a song. Praising God is not just singing a song. It's giving Him all the glory, acknowledging Him in all your ways. Honoring Him in every moment of your life. That's how we give praise to God. Amen? And let's declare that praise. Let's declare that praise right now. So we sing this, the chorus of this song. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.